I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 54. Yes. Just like is, the studio. It's just like the studio for a number of reasons because <laughs> of what we'll be discussing today. So, um, uh, sorry that it's been a while uh, since the last uh, official episode. Um, it's been only a few days since I last uh, scolded everybody for talking in movies, and uh, that's what the last minisode was oh, about. I wasn't aware of that. So... Um, you don't even listen to this thing, I, do you? You don't tell me when you put up minisodes, and all of a sudden, there they are. There they are. Mm. They're, they're all, almost always on a whim. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, but Josh was working on a uh, film, and he was out of town. So he's on location, I like to say. On location in beautiful San Pedro, California. Parts beautiful. of it, parts of that is, are beautiful, right? As long as you look at the nature and not at any of the people or buildings. That's There's not a whole lot of the nature, though. So, What kind of movie was it? It was a thriller slash drama. Oh, okay. So I guess it works out well that uh, it was in a very depressing place. Kind of. Where? We shot parts in a junkyard, in a in a in a harbor junkyard. It was right next to a strip club, which is where we had to park some of the times. All right. Yeah. That sounds uh, very rewarding. <laughs> yes. The uh, the location of the uh, where we shot, I believe, the second day, was between literally between a strip club and a pile of sulfur that was several stories high. So the smell must have been uh, from both sides. Yeah. So either way, you know what? I'm not going to head yeah, down yeah. the direction it's I was going to. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, he was working on that for over three weeks, right? Uh, yes. So uh, that's why. Uh, we didn't do a full episode, but uh, our last episode was about uh, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, which has been nominated for uh, multiple awards, um, and if you would like to hear that, just uh, go back to episode 53 and give it a listen. Uh, I'm kind of pleased with that episode, and I'd like to uh, hear your feedback. So, now not nominated for any awards, though people thought it was going to be, is, uh, the, t- is the film that we'll be discussing today. Which which is Steve McQueen's Shame. No, it's not that Steve McQueen. Heaven forbid this director throw in a middle initial or anything. Yeah, I was I was confused for about halfway through the mu- movie where I was like, when is there going to be a motorcycle like going over some barbed wire <laughs> or like when is he going to bounce the baseball against the inside of the solitary confinement cell? None of that was in this movie. So I know. I, at the very least, it could have been like, oh, man, I have to have sex. I got to get to this strip club. And he hops on his bike. There you go. I mean, there's a, an extended sequence where he's running. Yeah, but not fast enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so the movie we'll be discussing today is, is Shame. And this is a, a film that got uh, critical acclaim. Uh, people were surprised that it was not nominated for any Oscars. Although, admittedly, the only ones that it was really in any contention for was Best Actor and 
to a certain extent, Best Supporting Actress, but even that mm-hmm. wasn't uh, considered a sure thing. Uh, it was a bit of a, a surprise that uh, Michael Fassbender was not nominated for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. And I will say um, that I th- consider him to be by far the best part of the film. Um, yeah. So, okay. well, we should ahead. start off by saying that uh, for those of you who don't know anything about this film, um, the film is rated NC-17 mm-hmm. for sexual content. Yeah. Um, so, so there's two part, there's a two part warning sort of for that. One is that in order to really talk about this, we may have to go into some uh, detail that might be mm-hmm. uncomfortable for some people. So if this isn't the sort of thing that you might want to listen to in mixed company or mm-hmm. with your parents or at all, that's totally understandable. Uh, w- would you want to sit and have a conversation about shame with your with your grandmother? I wouldn't want to listen to this uh, this show at all with well, my parents. <laughs> okay, not because there's anything inappropriate, but just like who sits around the. Uh, Sits around the old iPod dock and uh, throws on that exit through the gift shop episode. The old sound box. Um, so there's that. Uh, at the same time, I would say uh, oftentimes people skip the show because they haven't seen uh, this movie. I feel like this is one where on several levels I might recommend people not see the movie. Mm-hmm. And so this this might not hurt you too much if uh if you listen to this one without having seen it yeah it's uh the 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 film is about a new york yuppie everybody keeps in all the reviews they always say yuppie and i guess he is one strictly speaking in the sense that he's upwardly mobile uh what was the what's the professional yeah that's what it was yeah um but uh and he is a sex addict and sex addiction is something that has been uh, thrown around, and I don't mean to say that in a in a derisive sense. It's it it's a term that's been um, used more in the last, I'd say, ten years. Um, and this is one of the first movies to really address it head on. And uh, when I I remember when I had heard that it was going to be rated NC seventeen, my first thought was, yeah, that's probably about right. Like if it actually sort of gained my respect by. By being willing to be rated NC-17, because that guarantees that it's a movie very much for adults with adult subject matter, and so, and it's not going to pull any punches. It is going to take us inside the world of this man, mm-hmm. and his is a world filled with sex. So, so I respected that. Um, but yes, there is uh, there is some imagery that uh, can be bothersome, and and I, I feel like we can stay pretty vague in our descriptions of it for the most part um and uh when we if we if ever we find uh, the the need to go into more detail we will be very clinical so that it is not at all arousing uh so and and the plot of the film is is very basic uh michael fassbender plays a character named brandon who just lives in new york is a sex addict and then his sister hits town and they you can tell even though they don't necessarily uh spell out the nature of their relationship you can tell it's pretty rocky and um and she has had some some tough times in her life and is very emotionally unstable Mm. and the uh the the addition of her into his life sort of throws him off and it's really just it's it's a film, I guess, about the relationship between the two of them, 
but also just the way each of them individually specifically i mean more specifically him but uh how they each deal with the stress of having each other in their lives uh how they deal with that mm-hmm. uh so it's very much a character film it is not really uh plot heavy at all no. but um but yeah and this is uh it's by steve mcqueen who made a film called hunger also starring michael fassbender which i didn't see and i heard was great and i haven't seen that either and i'd, I'd kind of like to has he made any other films these are the only two I think those are the only two, but uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. I don't have it in front of me. Okay. Because I feel like I've heard a lot of praise for him as a director even before this film came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if he's made one other movie, which I only have heard is good, I feel like we're jumping the gun a little bit by being like, oh, here's this director's next movie. Right. It's going to be good. Because in my opinion, this one was not good. And I I can see the... Th- there are many reasons why I feel like I would have liked this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, the way that Steve McQueen directs, specifically the way he allows the camera to linger on the faces of his actors and just sort of... I don't know. It sort of allows the characters to explain themselves rather than using the camera and editing to... Not as shortcuts. I don't mean that like basic filmmaking is a bad thing, but uh, but it, it really is. It's a little stagey, but there's still in the way the camera moves. There is a, a fluidity to it that I think uh, does help the film cinematically. But by and large, um, it is a, a pretty static film visually, mm-hmm. which I tend to like because it does show I think a trust in the actors and it allows yeah. them room to to move yeah there's there were a lot of uh, scenes with long takes or you know one long take for an entire right. scene at times um which i i enjoy that and some of the visual style i think yeah, i think those were some of the only things that i liked about the film yeah it's i i really enjoy that sort of thing uh and and the film did help me to realize about myself that uh because on Battleship Pretension, even on here, I think I've put myself out there as somebody who I tend to like character movies. I tend to shy away from movies that are too flashy. Um, there are exceptions to this, of course. I mean, one could say that Orson Welles is a very flashy director, and I'd say that that's probably right. But, um, but yeah, that I tend to like character-driven, well-acted, you know, and shot in a way that emphasizes character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I sometimes get concerned that I will give a movie like that a pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with shame, I did not. I, I watched it, and uh, and there are parts of it that I liked, but, but by and large... And, I mean, it's not a movie that is meant to be enjoyed, strictly speaking, but even, even, on this, even in the sense of being engaged and having... Like, you can have a positive feeling about a movie without it being necessarily enjoyable. I mean, I enjoy... Uh, in the bedroom, you know, which is, uh, but it's not a fun movie to no. watch. Uh, and, but I didn't get any of that with, with shame, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wound up coming away from the film uh, with admiration for Michael Fassbender and Carrie Mulligan. And so Fassbender plays Brandon, and then Carrie Mulligan plays his sister uh, named Sissy. And maybe uh, named so only to 
keep us uh, uh, so we're not confused so right. we know who she is. Sissy, what what relation what relation is she to him? I don't quite recall. But uh I remember really appreciating their level of commitment, which is something that uh something that always that always gets me about a specific performance. You can sometimes tell when a when an actor's not totally committed to what they're doing or they feel a little self-conscious. Um and then there are some actors who just put it all out there and in this film very much so in every case um and when i say that that michael fassbender is committed to his character i don't merely mean that he is committed to being naked and and engaging in these uh simulated sex scenes i mean that like emotionally he's willing to put himself out there and recognizes there are going to be moments when my character does not look good to the audience Mm. and will actually look quite ugly and screwed up but that's who he is, and I'm just going to play him, and I'm not. I'm going to try not to judge him, and that's something that I appreciate. And I wound up actually liking Carrie Mulligan a lot more than I expected to because early on I was like, I'm not going to like this character, and I don't think I did like the character, but I really liked. I really got a sense that she was a full character, that she was three dimensional. Um, so, and the scenes between them, I think, were the strongest scenes. Mm-hmm. because we got a sense of history even when the script didn't allow that. Like, we don't know what has happened in their past to cause them to become somewhat estranged. We don't necessarily know if there was a specific thing. We only know that their relationship is not a good one. And I feel like those are often some of the scenes that are not really, really overwritten. Or if they are, mm-hmm. the actors managed to pull it off. And... and the film being overwritten is one of the uh, one of the main problems that I have with it. I think. Yeah. Um, overwrought, I think, is the. There's another one. Yeah. That's that was my feeling overall from the film, from the music to the the scene, uh, just to the structure, to mm-hmm. the writing, to even some of the performances, uh, and uh, he mentioned something about. Um, Fassbender and his character, which is, I think I was going to use his jumping board, something else, and I forgot. Uh, I, I, th- I think maybe what it was was you were mentioning that sometimes the character isn't going to look so good, and he's he's willing to accept that, mm-hmm. and he is, and, and the character doesn't look good, but I feel like the character doesn't look as bad as this movie should make this character look. Um, I think it tries to establish that that he is this I feel like I'm having to do all the work to make this character look like a bad person by just coming into the movie and knowing what it's about and knowing that it's called shame mm-hmm. like I don't think the movie does close to enough to establish that he feels shame about any of these acts like mm-hmm. I, I, I get the feeling that he feels bad and that he's having trouble connecting with people but never that he feels shame from anything that he says or does mm-hmm. um, I don't know and um, even even to if the film's trying to say like look how bad I know it's not the main theme but if at some level the film's trying to say look how look at the depth someone can go to in uh when they're a sex addict <laughs> i don't think having sex with high class prostitutes with views you know vistas of of new york city mm-hmm. is the depths of sexual addiction i think like 
a lot of what it what it depicts is actually kind of glossy and and almost romanticized versions of sex which and not all of it but I'll, but too much of it i think for what this movie's trying to say and i think that uh you mentioned the that the scene where he does have sex with a high class prostitute in a hotel room that has a beautiful view of the city and i feel like that is a somewhat romanticized view of of this but i think that in the context of what what that has followed I think that becomes a, an intensely sad scene because this is a guy who he went on a date with this one woman and it, w- it went okay, not great. Uh, and then he wants to he wants to try to inject some sort of spice into their non-existent relationship. Uh, she's somebody he knows from work, and so like in the break room, like they start making out, and then he takes her to this hotel room. And they have a very and they they start to uh, they start to head down the path to sex and it's very romantic and very personal and in that instance uh, he winds up he is impotent and he feels well he feels shame about that and he feels really bad um, and. In the next scene, that's when you see him in the same... Ho- and then she leaves. And in the next scene, that's when you see him in the same hotel room having sex with the prostitute. And I think... I think that drains that scene of any gloss because you see that he was trying to have a connection with somebody that he knows personally, uh, admittedly in the only way he knows how, which is through sex. Uh, and you see that he's not... Not only is there no connection, but he's not even able to do it the way he knows how to do it. Like he, he's psychologically and thus physically unable to connect with this person, and so, and we think, oh my gosh, what's what's wrong with him? And then in the next thing you see, like, oh, physically, there's nothing wrong with him. It's just that this this prostitute will will require nothing of him, whereas other people do, right. and so, so stuff like that doesn't necessarily bother me, and. And uh, you mentioned the idea of, of seeing him as a bad person, and I'm actually okay with the film not viewing him as a bad person, but seeing that he has bad and very destructive attitudes, and that he, I mean, I guess he uses, I guess he does use people, yeah. um, but I don't, does he toy with people's emotions? I feel like he doesn't. I feel like he doesn't get that far. Not so much. He doesn't really do anything. I mm-hmm. mean... Uh, and I feel like even I don't think it even does a good enough job of showing that he has destructive intentions. I think we have to coming into it know mm-hmm. that sex addiction is bad and know that uh, you know pornography is not a is not a positive influence in people's lives. Or else, I don't think the movie establishes any connection between all of that stuff and the bad things that are happening in his life. I think you could put anything else in that in its place. If you were seeing him do drugs in all the scenes where we see him having sex, uh, no one would watch that movie and say, "Well, he has this, these problems with his sister because of because of the drugs." Mm-hmm. Because really, the problems with his sister are the only ones we see besides possibly that one that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. And even that scene doesn't work for me because one, uh, I think. Even still, when when we see that he's not able to connect with this woman, but he is able to, he's not impotent when he's with the prostitute. I still think that that 
that that's far from the seedy underbelly of sex addiction that the film was, mm-hmm. is trying to at some point portray. But at the same time, I think it falls, uh, the movie falls flat because it doesn't have a, it, it's, it's morality about sex is, is not rooted anywhere. There's mm-hmm. no reason that this, why should we think that his connection with the woman from work is any more valid than the connection that he has with these prostitutes mm-hmm. at the end we see, or near the end of the movie, we see him knocking on the door, uh, of some, random apartment and then uh having sex with these two different women but when the woman who answers the door registers recognition so mm. uh, i feel like this is the sort of place he's been before so he might have just as much of a connection with these people who he's having essentially anonymous sex with as he does with this woman from from work so because i think this the movie has no moral center regardless of whether it's a judeo-christian moral center mm-hmm. about what sex should be uh, i i feel i feel no reason to think that the relation that the his sexual relationship with the woman from work should be legitimate but these other ones are not legitimate and i think the i i do think that the film and and i think this is where uh we as christians might conflict with the general attitude of of the filmmaker because i think he approaches sex as a as neutral mm-hmm. you know and that Sex can be a thing that people use to connect with one another, but that's not what this guy is doing. He is using it to escape from something, escape and quite possibly from himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, it does. It's it's interesting because in some scene, I, I mentioned that the scene is o- that, that the uh, the film is overwritten in some scenes, and one of them is a scene in which he is on a date with the woman from work, and. That scene is shot. I think it's shot very well. I think it's acted very well. Mm. Uh, but I feel like the lines are not really helping because they they spell things out in a surprisingly clunky way. Like in the first five to ten minutes, no, even in the first two to three minutes of their date, uh, Brandon is talking about why he thinks uh, marriage and monogamy in general is a bad philosophy and why it would never work for him, but why he feels like it, it should never work for anybody else. Mm. And so like already we, we, we get a very overt take on, Oh, well maybe this is something that informs his sex addiction and his anonymous sex and the prostitutes and all of that. Um, but it just seems to sort of come out of nowhere and it's just stated so bluntly that part of me is like, you could, you could do better than that, right? Like yeah. you don't even really need to say that. But what's interesting for me is that while a scene like that is overwritten, some of the other scenes are underwritten and we like the details of, of his sex addiction and I'm all for showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. And based on the film that, that is there, not the one that I wish was there, but based on the film that is there, I see a guy who is in the, in a transitional part of his sex addiction. He like, he is still, He's still sort of in the in the fun part. He's there's still some compulsion to it, and he still clearly feels that he needs to do this. But over the course of the film, it goes from like these are the fun things to I have to do this no matter how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if since the film is, I think that's what the film is committed to is we don't see. The, the addiction is starting and we don't see how bad it has gotten. We see it as it's starting to get bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm okay with that. And I, I like the idea of not addressing it as head on as it could, 
But the problem is when it addresses some other things incredibly head on, I feel like the whole thing gets very muddled and ultimately the film winds up being very philosophically confusing, very emotionally confusing and, and not in, not in a good way. I'm not against movies being confusing. And if, and if a character is dealing with something as complex as addiction, I'm fine with the film being confusing and muddled, but this film is not that in a good way. It felt like it just didn't quite know how to deal with its material. Yeah. And it's, it's not showing him deal with all of this in a complex way. It's just mm-hmm. showing that it all sort of happens. And then there's some other problems in his life. Yeah. Really just the one with his, with his family. That, that's another thing that bothered me about it is he's, he's seen the only other aspect of his life that we see. It really is his work life. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be, he does fine at work. Yeah. So like all we know about this character is that he's fine at work. He has a sister that he has a bad relationship with, and he is at some level. He has some level of sex addiction. Yeah, and like, I don't think it does any kind of good job of connecting the three or showing how one weaves into the others. I mean, ostensibly, the the sex addiction is the theme of the movie, but it it doesn't really affect his job at work. Right. The, 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 there's a minor thing where his computer gets taken away because his hard drive is full of pornography. Mm-hmm. Um. But that's like a throwaway scene. It doesn't right. affect his performance at work. It doesn't affect the way anyone views him at work besides maybe his boss, which that whole relationship doesn't 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 make doesn't any work sense. for me. No. There's a for those of you who haven't seen the film yet, uh right after Brandon's sister comes back from uh or come comes to to visit and to stay with him, essentially she's staying with him because she has no other place to stay. Um she she's a singer, so she's singing out at a club one night, and for some reason, Brandon invites his boss to go along with him. The boss meets his sister, starts hitting on his sister, goes back with both of them uh, in a cab back to Brandon's apartment, goes up into Brandon's apartment, and sleeps with his sister in his bed, and no other words are said about it for the rest of the movie. It's... Uh, well, I mean, Brandon does say something to his sister about it, but to not his to his boss, it. right? But nothing to his boss about it, and maybe the implication is supposed to be like, "Well, it's my boss, so I can't say anything." Right. Well, if you're not, if you don't approve of it, then you can a not introduce your boss to your to your sister, b not approve in some way, or somehow make it not happen that your your sister is getting hit on by your boss, and three, not let them get in a cab to go back to your apartment to have sex while you just go somewhere else because you're unhappy. Like, that's totally unbelievable to me, that scene. See, and I think I think the way that I can make it okay requires... It requires such a stretch that I'm willing to say that the filmmakers didn't mean it. Yeah. It, d- it didn't mean what I'm about to say, which is this idea of... The idea of him not approving of this thing that his sister is doing, it could be that he doesn't approve but feels as though he does not deserve a say in her life, possibly because of their relationship and also maybe because of the things in his own life that he probably doesn't approve of. And so Mm -hmm. what right do I have to judge anybody? But he still can't get to a point where he does approve of it and so he just has to run away quite literally run he goes on an extended jog and part of me feels like okay that makes sense to me except i had to get there myself like the film really doesn't give me yeah Yeah. and so you know if if the director tomorrow said like that's what i meant it's like okay well i got it Mm. but i had to think really hard about it and that's not that you shouldn't have to think hard about a film but like 
it really didn't give you much. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess, and that's, that is my frustration is if a film's going to be minimalist in the way it deals with a situation or a circumstance, by all means do so. I'm fine with that. But when the film doesn't, and the whole the whole way the boss character is written mm-hmm. it seems like something out of a different movie. Yeah, um, and it's all so dreadfully serious throughout the whole thing. So you can't mm-hmm. be that and minimalist at the same time. Right. Yeah. Also, I think it's important to note that this is essentially, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, really the only other male character in the movie. Um. Yeah, the, of any of any note, of any yeah. substance, right? So the only other male character that we see in the movie is a married man who will go to his employee's apartment with his employee in the cab to sleep with that employee's uh, sister in his bed. When we when we see that, say thirty minutes into the movie, and all that we've seen of the other guy. Uh, of the main characters that he followed a woman on a subway and he seems to look at pornography and he uh, had a one night stand with someone who seems more like a sex addict in that situation mm-hmm. who seems more like they're into that uh, they've fallen into some sort of uh, perversion uh, to the point of normality. Yeah. It seems like it's the boss more. So when these are your two major, th- th- these are really your only two male characters how can the movie presume to say that, well, this guy's the one who has the sex addiction? Well, and I do think, and and who knows? I mean, who knows uh, what the boss's life is? We're not allowed to see very much of no. it. Um, but with Brandon, I think it, I think the film does an okay job of establishing that his, his default is sex. Like, when he gets home from, like, at work... He will take breaks to go and masturbate in the bathroom. Hmm. Uh, and then we discover that there's a whole bunch of porn on his hard drive at work. Hmm. Um, and, oh, to go, back, and to go back to that, I think that that goes to what I was saying before, that it's a transitional time. Like, it has not started to affect his work performance, but it probably will. Hmm. My guess is maybe a year before, he probably didn't have all that porn on his work computer, but now I think it's something he needs. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, so like, so he's got porn on his computer at work. He slips off into the bathroom to masturbate. He comes home, immediately starts looking at porn again, or going to like an online chat, uh, like video chat thing that is uh, sex related. Um, and then we frequently see him wake up with somebody. And so it really does seem like his resting position is sex. And it's this idea, it's... It hasn't started to destructively take over his life, but it is there at all times. He cannot get away from it. He has set up his life so that everywhere he looks, it's there. Now, one could say that in a way, everywhere anybody looks, it's there because of, uh, you know, because of modern society and, uh, you know, commercials and billboards and, and that sort of thing. But he has surrounded himself in a sort of cocoon of sex. And so I feel like the film, I like, I, I wish that it had gone more minimal, minimalist. I wish that it had not explained so many things. I wish that it had just been committed to having this be a portrait of this man rather than try to explain yeah. him. And I feel like things like that where it doesn't call attention to it, but it's just there. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a much more compelling film. It could have been much more effective and there could have... Uh, 
I feel like the if in something like that, the the subplot as it is with the sister is is totally unnecessary. Like I I think the sub film wants to try and establish some kind of connection that he's ignoring this personal connection with his sister because he's chasing after all these in impersonal mm-hmm. uh, relationships. But I don't th- I don't think the film makes the case accurately that the connect that there's a connection between those two that that one is because of the other. And, you know, I wonder if, and we're going to get to the companion film in a moment, Um, I wonder if it has to do with the fact that this this really is one of the first films to deal with sex addiction. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a film that came out about 10 years ago now called Autofocus, which dealt with uh, Bob Crane, Mm -hmm. who was, I don't think anybody said the term sex addiction at the time, but boy, oh boy, was he a sex addict. and it was a very destructive force in his life. Um, and so the movie was directed by Paul Schrader and it stars Greg Kinnear. And I feel like that's a very effective... But at the same time, that's also a true story. So there's a lot of things you can draw on. Right. As opposed to just straight fiction where you're creating it out of whole cloth. But uh, I wonder if, if, if there's another film to be made sometime in the future about sex addiction that will learn from some of Shame's mistakes because i think like what we're talking about is okay we just want a portrait of sex addiction without it trying to impose some sort of narrative like with the sister or impose some sort of explanation also like with the sister and something that might have happened in their past um now you do need to have some kind of arc but it felt like in dealing with a fairly unconventional topic unconventional for film you don't see it very often in dealing with an unconventional topic it's almost as if steve mcqueen felt as though he had to he needed some sort of anchor and so he he relied on pretty well i was going to say pretty conventional things but that's the that's the like having a difficult relationship with with his family and all of that and i mean it, to me i think it's it'd be interesting to just have a guy who who is successful as he is, but also seems to have a perfectly fine life, mm-hmm. but has this underneath and, and it's going to go away. Um, I, I know somebody who goes to sexaholics anonymous, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he's, he has told me in the broadest possible way, um, some of the, some of the really heartbreaking stories that you hear about guys who, you know, it's just this was part of their life for a long time, but then it eventually ruined their lives and their, you know, that ruined their marriages, it ruined their relationship with their kids. And that's, and one could say like, well, that's kind of how Brandon is with Sissy. Like their relationship is ruined. It's like, yeah, but it's not ruined because of the sex addiction. Yeah. He, you get the impression that he, he did this as a clear cause and effect because of his inability to relate to his family. Mm. And it's like, sometimes it's not that, it's not that clear yeah what you're trying to escape from yeah and, and I so think, i don't know go ahead there there could easily be that there is some other thing that makes him mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be totally believable to have a character that has all of the uh the that deals with all the sexual temptations or what have you that this character does um but is totally has, has a totally you know good relationship with his mm-hmm. with his sister like I, I don't think there's enough to establish that the one the one begets the other no. um, and I, I should say too and uh, maybe this will segue a little bit but uh, I, I don't want anyone to get the idea that 
I my problem with this movie lies in the content. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several movies that I that I think are great that have uh, a lot of sexual content or or more than some people might be comfortable with. Uh, I just don't feel like this movie. Uh, I feel like my problems with this movie are mostly thematic and and structural and. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I do feel, and maybe this will segue us a little bit. I feel like the the nudity in the film is a little uh, exploitative. Hmm. I mean, that could that that's a. I suppose it could be a question of taste, but I I don't feel like some of it is necessary, or I don't feel like the degree to which we see it is necessary. And also something that uh, that goes back to a little bit what I'd said before, but my wife pointed out a little bit is that some of it is a little glossier than, than it seems like would be effective in a movie about someone's life being torn apart or destroyed, or at least, uh, made harder by sex Mm -hmm. addiction. And I do think there is, okay. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll start to get into this, this topic a little bit. Um, because I did want to address it. Um, yeah, it's. I'm not sure if I would say it was uh, exploitative, because I, I do think that that if we're going to see this guy's life, then then we need to see it. But at the same time, if it had been a... I feel like if it had been a better movie, and if it had used it to better ends, then it's possible you might not think that. Like, for me, it's, it is very much about context. Mm. And I feel like... As as I said to you uh, before we started recording, everything about the film feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, if you're if you are committed to having an NC seventeen rating, and you are committed to having this much nudity, then I feel like you have something of a responsibility to the audience and to your actors to do well with it. Yeah. Like to to use it for something. And I'm sure, and to a certain extent he is using it for something, just not doing it well. And so I guess my, my feeling is if you're going to do it, do it right, you know, do it well. Um, and so, um, like, like for instance, the, the, uh, I guess quote unquote orgy scenes in eyes wide shut, mm-hmm. I think are much more, uh, disturbing and, mm-hmm. uh, upsetting maybe than any of the, any of the sex scenes in this in shame. Mm hmm which I think are made to seem like, look how low he's come, especially the ones towards the end. Like right. those don't seem, those, those don't have that, that same effect as, as like the orgy scene in, in uh, eyes wide shut is, is very, it's like unnatural and like the way that it's shot and the context, again, the context in which it comes in the movie is, uh, is upsetting and really shows you how far this character has come. And I think that, I think what, you mentioned the the scenes towards the end when he is starting to really descend, I think. Mm. Um, I think what bothers me is that once it starts to get, like, bad, I feel like the film starts to get a bit more squeamish. Now, there is a scene, like, I think the the last official sex scene of the, of the film is him and, and two other women, and... Uh, and I, I don't remember. I, they might be prostitutes or they might just be this anonymous thing. I'm not really sure. It doesn't really matter, one could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's pretty graphic. And it's, and I mean, it's, it's kind of gritty. But there is a scene that has been talked about a great deal in which uh, 
in which Brandon winds up, he is doing very poorly emotional uh, emotionally, and he wants to get into the club that he regularly goes to in order to find someone and go have sex with them. Uh, but they won't let him in. And so he just, but he needs this release. And so he winds up going into a gay club and, and he winds up, uh, receiving oral sex from a man. Now there are plenty of people who've said like, online who are like why is that so bad it's like well if the, if you're straight it's bad like it that's why it's bad in the context of the film because he doesn't want this it's it it demonstrates that that he is willing to get what he needs literally anywhere and you really get the sense that this is the first time he's done this yeah and so but here's the thing is that when that happens the the camera focuses on his face. Now that's under now I understand why, which is we want to see his emotions as he's doing this thing that he probably has not done before. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you need to show like a graphic depiction of, you know, gay oral sex, but at the same time like if you're if you've got the NC-17 rating and you want to show what this guy's life is, you need to show what it is. You don't just show the parts that are socially acceptable you know like the mm-hmm. like the sex in the uh, beautiful hotel room with the view with mm-hmm. the attractive prostitute like yeah. if you want to show how bad it can get or how bad it can get for this character do it yeah. i mean i may it might make me uncomfortable as a viewer but that's the idea yeah. and when he and when he chooses to get squeamish during the the gay part mm-hmm part of me feels like oh you're not committed to this you're not nearly as committed as your actors are and uh and i found that i found that frustrating what do you what do you think of of that yeah i I think i think that's valid um because honestly to the uh to the majority of of viewers seeing you know not all of that but but Mm -hmm. more of that scene would be less sexy than say the threesome that they show quite right. a bit of right. shortly after that. Um, and I think that's dishonesty on the part of the film. I feel like a lot of the problems that I have with the film are in its dishonesty. Yeah. Um, so we, we've already talked a little bit about the idea of nudity and sexuality in film. And I do want to talk about that because this is, uh, cause I, I, I've talked on the podcast before about films that feature, nudity and and sex but this probably this one probably has more than say the reader (laughs) um although that does have some or winnebago man you know what i'm wrong it was winnebago man that's the one that has the most um maybe i don't know what that movie's about (laughs) clearly you don't (laughs) you don't want to go inside that winnebago (laughs) but uh and so Exactly. Yeah, that's the full title. You don't want to go inside that Winnebago, man. <laughs> or maybe you do. You got to pay the toll. So, um, so this is an opportunity for us to talk about nudity and sex in film. And I've talked in the past, I think, about violence in film and you know language in film. And I think most people in the Christian community would probably say that there are movies where I absolutely understand why language would be necessary. 
to create a certain reality. I absolutely understand where violence would be necessary to create a certain reality. Uh, but it's not at all uncommon to find Christians who believe that there should never, ever be nudity in film and that it is never called for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with that. Now, I did say that that I think it should be used sparingly and it should be done when necessary because the difference between violence on film is that that is completely fake. Nudity on film, the circumstances might be fake, but the nudity is real. That's really what that actor looks like. Mm -hmm. That's really what that actress looks like. You know what I mean? Like they, it's not merely the characters that are naked. It's the actors. And I feel like that is not, that is not a small thing. I think that needs to be treated with respect. And so if I feel like, like the story calls for it. And even within that, if I feel like it is being done respectfully, then I'm okay with it. Um, from a, from a, moral and artistic standpoint now from a personal standpoint as as i've said on the show before um you know i've i've had problems with uh, pornography so from time to time there are movies that i need to sort of uh, avert my eyes on in certain scenes but uh oddly enough this wasn't one of them i did not find any of it to be particularly erotic but um but yeah uh so i think i think context does it doesn't excuse everything, but it makes it more acceptable for me as a as a critic and as as an appreciator of film. Josh, what do you say? Um, well, I th- I think the same principle applies that we've talked about with uh, with other questionable content in films, in that uh, as far as how to approach it, it's a person by person basis. Mm-hmm. For some people, it will be it will be more of a problem than for other people. So uh, this is separate from the question of whether putting it in is, is uh, putting nudity in a film is, is good or not. But um, as far as the responsibility of the viewer, um, I believe that does change from, from person to person. There can be, there's no inherent sin in seeing the image of a, of a nude person. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, sinful but uh to lust after nude images is a sin Mm -hmm. so like like with many issues that's a heart issue that's a personal issue um it's for some people you you might not be able to see anything without it causing temptation for some people there might be a lot that doesn't you know that wouldn't cause temptation i think especially in in our culture and in today's culture, we, I think some people maybe pridefully err on the side of saying, oh, that won't, that won't get to me. You know, that stuff doesn't bother me when they don't realize how much it does affect them. So I, I feel like as far as recommendation, it would be caution at all costs, even if you're not sure. Um, maybe even if you are sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> We can be sure a lot of things that we're wrong about. Um, but uh, so I, I guess I think that sums up how I feel about watching it. As far as putting nudity in film, I, I agree with you that sparing use is uh, sparing use is more. 
I don't know, is more valid in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like there are too many times when I'm trying to think of specific instances where a film has a to get the necessary artistic effect uh nudity is required. Mm-hmm. I think there are ones where it happens and nothing's jumping out to me at the moment, but uh well I think if- for me, usually, because of the inherent vulnerability of nudity, I think scenes in which a character is put in a position of, of like, sexual vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, wh- and e- not even in a negative way, yeah. but just, I think, if you are, if, if you're trying to illustrate that, that this person is really laying themselves bare uh, in front of another person... Uh, for good or ill, then yeah. I think in in an instance like that, I'd say it's it's probably necessary because there is something very um, guttural to just see somebody, whether they're being forced to or they're willingly putting themselves out there. I think if they're putting them, either way, I think we have a desire to like maybe protect that. But even even if we don't, we the the desired emotion that comes out of that from the viewer i think i think i think vulnerability is usually because you don't get much more vulnerable than nudity yeah um like uh, there's an example not that this was going to be ever erotic in the first place but there's a, a film that i love called the verkmeister harmonies in which uh there's a scene where a bunch of uh ruffians i'm sorry a huge angry mob is what i should have said <laughs> is uh running through a hospital and just terrorizing everybody in the hospital and then they arrive at a room where a an older man is standing in the bathtub naked and he's just standing there and he looks pathetic I, he do, he he's like he's like too old to even really be scared and he's too old to like scamper off and find something to cover himself with he's just standing there yeah and it is this image that shames the entire crowd into leaving the hospital it's a really wonderful scene and of course you know what you might find the idea of an old naked man erotic go right ahead but i don't think that scene was meant to be erotic but it's an example of what i'm talking about like it's nudity that was used to create a necessary emotion and so i was okay with it yeah no i i agree with that but uh, but I example. I do think that what you are talking about in regards to the viewer, um, I I think that's that's also important um, because you know it's 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 good to know what your limits are, what causes temptation in you, and and it is different for everybody. And what I would say, because you already you already stated it pretty well, but I'll I'll add something to it, which is. You never know what somebody else is dealing with, what somebody else, what causes temptation for them. Yeah. So I would say, while I do think that a good, a good uh, default is caution, no matter who you are, um, I do think that there are probably some Christians out there that would say that you and I were wrong for even watch, even entertaining the notion of watching shame, mm. and. I think you never know what you you never know another person's heart and so 
be careful about rushing to judgment just because they've they've watched something. Yeah. Now the flip side is Josh and I could just as easily be judgmental about somebody who worries about lust and temptation and thus avoided shame. Yeah. And it's 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 always easy to be like Come on, what's the big deal? It's not a big it's not a problem. What are you a it's Pharisee? It's real. Yeah. It's a movie. Yeah, like we that's that's a temptation for us. And so I think but we don't know their heart either. And so I think uh I think that's something to keep in mind especially when dealing with uh, a topic as as sensitive as this is that it's a little different for everybody and that at, I will repeat as Josh said, exercising caution no matter who you are never hurts. Yeah. So, um, okay. Moving on to the companion film. Well, and, and before we even do that, uh, the big, the big theme of shame or the theme that I want to, uh, that I want to get into is that of escape. Um, because for whatever reason, Brandon feels the need to escape from something. And that is what sex has provided him something that he can control. And even, even if, uh, even if it means having sex, you know, trying to convince somebody else of having sex, you know, to have sex with you, you know, that you're not really controlling that person, but it's worth noting that he has sex with prostitutes a lot. Yeah. And those are people that you can control. Porn is something you can control, you know, and, and clearly this is a guy who probably feels as though he doesn't have a great deal of control. And so, this is something where you can sort of, in a way, in an abstract way, engage with another human without having to engage in the messiness of human interaction. And it's something that, that as a, you know, in my testimony episode, as I mentioned, and even earlier in this episode, um, I mentioned that, you know, that I struggled with porn for a number of years. And for me, there is no question in my mind although I don't think I knew it at the time because I was young and, you know, I don't think you put two and two together like this. But when I look back, I realize like, you know, I was an overweight kid that was made fun of and I just was not comfortable and I really hated myself. And, and, uh, and I also happened to be a teenager at the time. And so, uh, porn became a thing that it became an escape, a place where I could go and nobody would judge me, you know? And so it was, it was, quite literally well not literally the same thing as shame because i'm not doing everything that he did but it started in the same place of not not feeling like you're able to deal with other people but still wanting them to affirm you and say good things about you and and all that and there's nothing more affirming than like somebody wanting to have sex with you and not that i was looking for that at age 12 but that's what porn provides is this affirmation of, of you, even though it's very impersonal. Mm. And so, so I don't know. It's, uh, I feel like I, it makes me wish that shame had been a bet, had been a better film because I feel like all the elements were in place for this to be a really, really interesting film about addiction in general, sex addiction in, uh, in particular, um, and just what, not even necessarily what causes it, but how it often feeds itself because chances are, I know that for myself, it was the case, you know, the more I did look at porn, the more I felt shame and the more shame I felt, the more I had to escape into porn. And it just, yeah. 
you know, it just uh, circles round and round until it's what's called a shame spiral. <laughs> and uh, and so and, and it can be very debilitating. And, and I just wish that the film had been more committed to to exploring that, even if not explaining it. Yeah. So. um so I do want to get into the companion film now, which is The Lost Weekend, directed by Billy Wilder in 1945, uh, based on a novel by Charles R. Jackson. It was written by Wilder and Charles Brackett, uh, and it stars Ray Milland. It uh, won several Oscars. It won Best Picture, Director, Actor, and Screenplay. It was nominated for several more. Uh, including score, and this was a this is a fun fact. I saw that. It is the first uh, film score to feature the theremin, which people will know from I'm going to say every sci-fi movie in the <laughs> '50s, uh, which kind of has that. It's got that otherworldly feel yeah. to it, and uh, and in this film, it's it's meant to. It, it was used during a a fantasy sequence or a nightmare sequence, and. Uh, and yeah, th- this is a film that deals with alcoholism, and it's really one of the first films to deal with alcoholism as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you compare the thin uh, the Thin Man from 1935 <laughs> with The Lost Weekend in 1945, don't get me wrong, I love The Thin Man. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But boy, oh boy, those characters drink a lot, and oh, they're just the best people. Yeah, you know, it it has no negative impact on their life. In fact, probably only positive. It's like they're drinking water. Exactly. Delicious water. <laughs> um, and so, th- and that seemed to be the general attitude at the time. And so for Billy Wilder to make a very hard hitting and yes, possibly overwrought, mm-hmm. but I think that's also, that's a function of the period in which he's operating. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that it is the first time he's dealt with it. And so maybe he felt he needed to go a little overwrought in yeah. order to make his points. Yeah. And it is a film film that I think even if it is a little bit overwrought, it it really does show him at kind of a low depth to the mm-hmm. point where you watch the film and you're like, uh, some of the scenes where he's like drinking in the morning, like first thing in the day, he's going into the bars and you're like, this is, <laughs> you can you can tell that he's in a bad place. And it seems, mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's, it's more effective to me because he... It's almost like he's in a bad place and he doesn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. He's still kind of in that denial. And he's not really... He's maybe... Ex- if he's experiencing any shame, uh, for most of the movie, it's it's on a psychological level that he's not even registering. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and there's a lot of... And I think... This is something that I think Shame and uh, The Lost Weekend have in common, is they do at times have a nice eye for, for detail. Um as far as as what it must be like for for these people like in uh, the lost weekend uh the character hides alcohol all over the place mm-hmm. and i remember i don't I, I don't remember where i heard this but i remember hearing the idea of an alcoholic hides hides you know bottles all over his house almost because he needs to know that they're there even if he doesn't turn to them Mm -hmm. it brings them it it calms them to know that at any moment they can get get what they need you know and uh and the idea of of uh the character hanging he hangs a bottle out the window um now he's doing that to keep it from other people but also it's just 
I don't know. I never. I used to never really understand the idea of 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 hiding something. And it's like, well, I mean, why is that so important? It's like because it's indicative of like a desperate need to have something, and and no one ha- and no one knows about it. Only I know about it, which means I'm the only one that can get to it. Mm-hmm. And so, so I feel like, and and with uh, with Brandon's uh, various stashes of pornography in. Uh, in shame i feel like it's a good eye for detail there as well but um yeah i i love the lost weekend and i think it does a a very good job of of showing that because because this is a guy who really has hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. but it also does a good job of showing the kind of man that he was that he was a witty guy who could make jokes and was probably fun at parties and probably was fun often as a result of his drinking and then eventually that became that took him over yeah um but yeah for him it really does seem to be an escape uh he has a hard time dealing with his uh girlfriend or fiance i don't recall i think girlfriend and his brother who means well but is getting really tired of dealing with his his drunken uh, antics and so in this you get the same thing you get a sense that he he feels like he's disappointing people and he knows he's disappointing himself. And so, what do you do when you dis- when you have disappointed someone? You scamper off to to this thing. And mm-hmm. even though that is the instrument of their disappointment, it's also the instrument of your comfort. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, for those that haven't seen the Lost Weekend, I, I really recommend it. I, I I really yeah, I really love it. Um, I may not love it as much as I did when I first saw it because I've since seen other films that deal with drug addiction and alcoholism and that sort of thing. And I, and I tend to like the more subtle approach, mm-hmm. but that's hard. I, I don't really consider that to be the fault of Billy Wilder or Ray Milland no. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, do you still like The Lost Weekend? Do you still enjoy it's it? It's been a while since I've seen it, and I do remember that the that it's certainly not subtle. Mm-hmm. Um but if you're if you're able to take into account the time period, uh, I think it's I think it's acceptable. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's dealt with in a in a reasonable way, if a little bit over the top. And, and I think even if the approach is over the top, that doesn't bother me so much as as that. Um, it doesn't bother me as much as it would if it didn't give an honest portrayal of the problem and how that problem affects this person and mm-hmm. why it's a problem. And I feel like Lost Weekend does that effectively. Shame does not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to I do want to move into uh, some some scripture reading, and, and these are actually pretty long. So uh, I, I apologize for that, but I do want to. We want to give you the the full picture here, um, and. In these three passages, I want to sort of show, I think, the natural human instinct when dealing with the difficulties of life, which is often what leads to addiction, is somebody, whether it be sex or drugs or alcohol or, or anything, even the idea of, of hoarding, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. this idea of like, well, I might need this. Yeah. And when you say like, oh, I might need this, that implies that you don't want to be caught unprepared. You want to... It's, it kind of goes back to that control thing. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to con- control things. And, and if I can't control them, maybe I can at least relax about it and, you know, and do this over here. 
And so, um, so first I'm, go- I'm going to read Psalm 39, verses 12 through 13. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Uh, I like that. <laughs> I like that passage because, uh, as I've said in the past, like I-, I tend to like Bible verses that seem to understand modern sensibilities as though uh, melancholy and depression and despair uh are new and uh this shows that they very much are not uh and here i i like you know look away from me that i may enjoy life again um the like the idea of of god looking at you just like oh no thank you and that to me is i think that is a shame attitude of just don't look at me nobody look at me certainly not god the only way i can enjoy life is if all eyes are off of me yeah well, and that's the first instance of shame that we see in the bible is when mm-hmm. adam and eve realize what they've done and they're ashamed and they don't it's it's like it's a physical manifestation of that they don't want god to see them mm-hmm. um and so uh so the way we often deal with shame is to turn to something physical and even if that physical thing is good, like there's nothing wrong with sex, there's nothing really wrong with alcohol, there's nothing wrong with, you know, hoarding. Well, hoarding, <laughs> yes, but, you know, being prepared and and trying to be resourceful and use things and reuse things. There's nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, not being wasteful. But eventually that impulse starts to become the only impulse. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that everybody who drinks will become an alcoholic. Everybody who has sex is going to be- become a sex addict. Everybody who, you know, saves something is going to be a hoarder. But if the instinct that causes us to turn to that is an escape from reality or an escape from our own problems or ourselves, then I think eventually in not dealing with that, we're going to want to escape more and more. And before you know it, escape is our primary goal in life yeah um and so uh so josh is now going to read an extended i apologize an extended uh passage from ecclesiastes it's ecclesiastes 2 verses 1 through 11 josh take us away ecclesiastes 2 you know the one (laughs) um all right so here is a here's a here's that passage Um, i said to myself come now i will test you with pleasure to find out what is good but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and when I had toiled and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, 
Nothing was gained under the sun. Well read, Josh. Thank you. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that nothing inherent, nothing in these verses is bad. Mm. Well, he's built. Well, I mean, buying slaves. Maybe. Okay, that's pretty rough. <laughs> I'll be the first to tell you, you know what? Frowned upon and, at the very least in the harem thing. You know what? Who am I to say? That's true. <laughs> yes, harems are. But like he says, like laughter is madness. It's yeah. like, no, I, I like laughing, um, you know, and wine and and he builds houses and plants vineyards. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But it's this idea of defining. He defines himself by that. And it mm-hmm. and it's he's trying to find some sort of meaning in that. Yeah, um, because such a meaningless world and so maybe i can find meaning in in this and you'll find it a lot the idea of and you'll often uh, i think you'll find it more in movies because it's a pretty standard character the character who's like you know all this stuff is just too difficult to deal with for me just i'll find uh we all die alone anyway right you know so i'll just have as much fun as i can and uh and it often it often seems to mask this deep desire for something more substantial in life and it's uh, the the point is sort of that there uh, there's no inherent meaning in any of that Mm -hmm. Uh, any meaning that any of those things has any meaning that uh, building building great projects might have or or uh, you know acquiring any kind of wealth or even laughter or or uh, you know connections with other people um all of that stuff only has meaning when it is seen uh, as God sees it and when it's mm-hmm. applied in the way that, that God wants us to apply it in our lives. Yeah. Um, you know, making gardens and parks isn't, isn't good because of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be seen as good because of its, because it, it's enjoying the beauty of God's earth or it's sharing that beauty with others. And so whenever whenever the uh, the intention behind any of those things is a godly intention, they can all have meaning. Mm-hmm. But without that, by themselves, there isn't any meaning. Yeah, they, they have meaning because they f- they find their place. Whereas if 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 you don't have God behind it, and this actually sort of goes back to our Dark Knight episode, that like when you remove God from something, then the various things that we say have meaning, they don't really. And as we strive to make them have meaning, eventually the striving for that meaning can overtake us. Mm -hmm. And eventually these things can, not always do, but they can enslave us. Whereas having God in your life puts them in perspective right um like in some in specific application to shame when we see uh sex as part of marriage and a a way for people to connect and and uh share a a true love a godly love with each other then there's meaning to it and there's beauty to it Mm -hmm. but when sex is is self-serving and kind of a duality in that because it's serving the self and it is um it is sought almost in service of itself mm-hmm. uh, the the a character or brandon's character or anyone who's who's a sex addict is is almost looking for sex for the purpose of sex you know mm-hmm. it's it's again that the vicious cycle in a way 
And there's a there's a uh, a quote in that movie I mentioned, Autofocus, in which uh, Bob Crane says, "A day without sex is a day wasted," as though the implication is it is the it's the only thing. Yeah, like it doesn't matter who you have it with. Yeah, it doesn't matter why why only that. Yeah, you do it. Um, and eventually, I think that can drive you to uh, madness, as we see in uh, The Lost Weekend. Um, he eventually has to go to a uh, sanitarium. And the and I think it's I think he winds up having like hallucinations as a function of not getting alcohol. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I think it's I think it's due to withdrawal that he starts to see these horrible visions of bats. And that's when you hear that theremin. But uh, Let's get the DTs. Is that what that is? DT's dr- drunken tremors. I'm not sure. I don't know I, if that's what that stands for. I'm not for. entirely sure what that means. I, and I think I've heard it referred to as like when someone's coming off, um, having had a lot of alcohol, it's like detox. I don't know. I don't know exactly mm. what it means. I don't know. Let's look it up. Listeners, look it up and email me. Don't yeah, do that, tell, please. Tell me what the DT's is. You can email, email me. Email Josh. Josh at morethanonelesson.com. Well, I'll repeat it again DTs. later. Yes. At the Josh Long and follow him. So, uh, so the question then becomes, Josh, what does it become? I'll tell you what it becomes. Tell me, I can't wait. This is such a mistake. You know what? I'm ending it now. I'm not even going to get to the point. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. If and and you and I already have already talked about it. like, well, if we don't have, if we if all of these things are meaningless, and if eventually they will just start to enslave us, then what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Psalm 4, verses 1 through 8, I will read them. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your and do not sin, when you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I lie down and sleep, for you, al- for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Um, I love that pas- passage, uh, especially uh, verse 8. Um, but it just, it implies that we can, we can turn to God in everything, and it's not necessarily going to fix everything, but it, it can provide a certain degree of I won't say relaxation. That sounds wrong. Rest. Yeah. And that, that, that is what I like about that last thing. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, alone Lord, uh, make me dwell in safety. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say, in peace, my life is great. And my life will always work out the way I want, and I have control over everything. Mm. And in fact, you know, we t- we've talked about, in some cases, the desire for control. And if we if we take comfort in the fact that God is in control, then we can let go and we don't so desperately need something to help us escape from our own, right. from the realization that we don't have control. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's what I, that's, that's what I want you to, to take away from this. Um, that, uh, okay, let me switch here. That, um, 
really anything can be an addiction. And in this past, and in this passage, uh, the term false gods is thrown up there. And a false god can be anything that takes the place of God right. and that you are worshiping and that takes up your time. And in the case of Brandon, it's sex. In the case of uh, Don in the last weekend, it's alcohol. But it can be anything. You can even be addicted to your family. Stay tuned for an episode that will be coming up in about a month. Um, but uh, And I won't say what it is because I don't know what will be in between now and then. So I'm sorry. I can't tell you what the next episode is going to be yet. I don't even know. Maybe so, I do. So anything can become... A false god. Anything can become addictive if you start to rely on that for your identity, if you rely on that for any kind of comfort you might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is all meaningless, Josh. Under the sun. Indeed. And uh, only God can, can give things meaning. And what's interesting is that the more of him you have, the more you realize that, like, the true meaning of those things. It's not that they become meaningless. They gain their actual meaning. Yeah. So, um, and you're, you're able to put things into perspective and have all of the things that you truly need when, as, as the other verse says, I don't know the context, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness like that. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing and everything else follows. So I, uh, I do want to, if there is anybody, by the way, dealing with uh, some kind of addiction, it could be uh, drug addiction or uh, porn addiction, sex addiction, whatever, um, there is a uh, website that I would direct you to that is specifically uh, Christian-oriented. It is recoveryconnection.org, um, and that has all kinds of resources for you, um, including a a hotline that you can call and uh it's as well as like various books that you can order and people you can talk to it's and they are they are christian so they will you know say a lot of the things that that we've been saying but in great deal more depth and they can you know talk to you one-on-one and, and that sort of thing so i i highly recommend if that's something that you're dealing with or something that you're even sort of maybe worried about turning into maybe uh you know, maybe you're somebody who's dealt with porn and it's starting to become a bigger issue um, and you want to sort of cut it off at the pass, then uh, I would recommend going to recoveryconnection.org and uh, and take advantage of some of the resources there. So anyway, um, so that does it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com to read blogs and uh, find sermons. Uh, and there actually are a couple of new blogs. Travis, uh, Travis Fishburne has written a blog about uh, the most recent X-Men film, also starring Michael Fassbender. Um, and then there's going to, and then I actually have a new blogger uh, who, by the time this, uh, his, blog, his first blog might not be up yet, but it's actually an old friend of mine from Denver, uh, also named Tyler. His name is Tyler Gunstream, and uh, his first blog will be up uh, within within a couple of days so be on the lookout for that uh and in the meantime you can always uh look at uh you know listen to the various sermons uh there is one uh by tim chaddick of reality la uh that deals with this uh passage from ecclesiastes and uh it's a very it's a very good uh sermon that i highly recommend uh let's see you can email me tyler at more than one lesson.com you can email josh josh at more than one lesson.com you can follow me on twitter uh twitter.com slash more lessons you can follow josh 
and that's uh, at the Josh Long. And I think that is it. Uh, if you enjoy the show, feel free to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. That would be really wonderful. And I also wanted to let you know, in case you're interested, that the More Than One Lesson DVD store is up and running. Oh, but it isn't, it isn't merely DVDs. It is also CDs and books. And uh, a lot of the books that we've talked about on the show and just some good Christian and film resources uh, are available on there as well. So you can find that in the store link. And all, there's also a little uh, icon on the side that you can click to get there. So lots of stuff to do on the website. So you should go there. Right, Josh? Go there right now. If you're not there now, what are you doing? If not now, when? That's what I say. Good question. So, um, all right, on that stupid note, um, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks as always for being here. Glad to be here. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.